Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Toro. Those big agricultural tractors you see working on golf courses with their clutch and complicated lever pulling sequences in a turf maintenance application, they're like stepping onto the first tee, not knowing which swing you have that day. Toro's new Outcross 9060 can do everything those clunky tractors can, but with tons less stress on the operator and on the turf. With automotive controls and programmable attachment parameters, even rookies on the crew can be trusted with aerating, top dressing, mowing grass, loading sand, and removing snow from around the clubhouse in the winter. The Toro Outcross 9060 is like having all of your best golf shots saved, ready for use each and every round. Follow at Toro Golf on Twitter and reach out to your local Toro distributor to schedule a demo. All right, today's episode is a U.S. Women's Open special. We sit down, not sit down, virtually sit down on Zoom with Chris Ortmeyer, Director of Agronomy at Champions Golf Club, which is the host for this U.S. Women's Open, a unique host in the sense that due to the December rescheduled date, they will be hosting it at both of their 18-hole courses, Cypress Creek, as well as the Jackrabbit course. So we talked to Chris Ortmeyer, Director of Agronomy there, as well as Darren Bavard, who is the Director of Championship Agronomy for the USGA. So unique little conversation between the USGA agronomist and the host superintendent, Chris, uh, and how they prep and different experiences through the years, as well as what we should see ahead of this week's U.S. Women's Open. So hope you guys enjoy this conversation. And uh, without further ado, here is Chris and Darren. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. With with COVID, imagine having two golf courses uh, to prepare for a championship. It's been a little bit more stressful for you, Chris, huh? Yeah, no, no question about it. Um, and even anticipating it beforehand, it really hasn't hasn't surfaced as much. I would say until just recently, here the last twenty four hours. Um, biggest thing by far is just with two golf courses it's it's not only twice the amount of areas to prepare prepare and maintain but it's twice the amount of people and and from a volunteer standpoint you know bringing in 35 individuals who are very good at, at what we do but have essentially never been on property has been by far the greatest challenge up into this point the logistics the planning the preparation to get them all here to get them somewhat familiar with the property, the jobs they're going to be completing. And then ultimately, you know, completed at a high level for the championship this morning has required significantly more than we kind of originally anticipated. Yeah. And Darren, obviously 36 hole prep isn't, or 36 hole course prep isn't that new to you, but it's new in an open sense. And Darren, you, you know, obviously, with every all the amateur events that the USGA runs are typically over 36 holes. From your sense, how does it differ from an 18-hole prep? Well, I, I think the biggest thing is, um, you know, again, when you trying, one, to have the courses placed similarly, not necessarily to each other, but so that on Thursday and Friday when the players are playing over two days that – you know, the players experience that play Cypress on Thursday experience the same thing that the players on Jackrabbit experience Friday, so to speak, so that it's a fair, comparable challenge across 36 holes. Um, whereas, you know, if you have a situation where something changes on an 18-hole golf course, uh, Andy, it's a situation where everybody's playing the same golf course every day. So the variation is, is not as big a deal, but, um, you know, and again, just, um, it, it's, you know, it's the same stuff. It's twice as many people, um, 
it's trying to, you know, get the little details over twice as much property and that type of stuff. There, there's, it's just a matter of wanting, you know, one, the playing conditions to be great, but it's also the player experience uh, and all of the little things that we do uh, for the player experience to be the best that they, you know, can have. Yeah, it, something I wanted to talk about is obviously you guys have been coordinating, working together on this project, this tournament for, for years. Can you guys walk us through kind of, you know, from each of your perspectives, how a uh, U.S. Women's Open setup uh, and the relationship between host course director of agronomy, Chris, and, uh, and the USGA agronomy, agronomy team kind of, you know, works from a few years out till this week so yeah i'll start um just because it's uh something that i'm used to doing um i believe the first time i was on this property with chris was either late 2016 or early 2017 um and you know it's developing a relationship one we have to trust each other um you know, we, we've got to know that, you know, hey, what I'm trying to accomplish and what he's trying to accomplish are the same thing. And it's just developing that relationship, learning personalities, while also learning agronomy and learning the golf course. Uh, and then, in, you know, in this case, uh, Champions undertook a putting green renovation to regrass and rebuild the greens on Cypress Creek, which made it so that Chris got to learn a whole different set of agronomy um at least compared to what he was dealing with on cyprus before all positive but um you know and then beyond that it's just the progression leading into the event of starting to dial down to you know details um you know chris knows his golf course infinitely better than i do I know how the USGA conducts championships and what things are important from our side. So it's meshing those things up, his expertise with Champions Golf Club and my expertise with USGA championships. Yeah, no, I think I think I'd say the same thing, Andy. I mean, like Darren said, I think we signed the agreement back in like February of 16, we found out we were going to be hosting it. So it really is neat how the relationships developed over the last three or four years. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, like Darren said, a lot of coordination uh, before, during, and after the construction of the putting greens and bunkers on Cypress Creek. And then also back in the spring, you know, when we found out about the date change and then ultimately the second golf course comes in and then incorporation of a bunker renovation project on the Jackrabbit golf course, all while significant travel restrictions are placed on, on Darren and his inability to, to be here. Um, you know, definitely complicated things, but, but I'd say equal to, or maybe even just as much, or maybe more than, I would say the enjoyment and preparing for the event. I think ultimately, successfully completing the championship on Sunday would be the the relationships that we've developed. You know, Darren being one of them, and the rest of the USGA over the last three or four years have been really, really good, and things that I'm looking forward to taking with me. You know, for the rest of my career. Yeah, I wanted to talk about the Jackrabbit course because obviously in in early spring you guys find out, you know, obviously you get postponed and then all of a sudden, you know, the Jackrabbit course is, is now a co-host of the opening two rounds. And, you know, you guys do a, a bunker project over the summer, but walk us through, you know, the prep for that and, and understanding the golf course from a setup standpoint. Usually, you know, this is something that you guys uh, on the, at the USGA would evaluate for a couple of years. Um, and with the limited travel are, you know, are you going to be leaning more on Chris and his staff, uh, than typical or, you know, how's that, how's that whole process work for you guys? Well, um, right now it's kind of evened out pretty quickly. Um, 
but because of travel restrictions, because of not knowing until, you know, March or April that this change was going to be uh, made, the first time I saw Jackrabbit Golf Course was Thursday morning. Wow. First time I ever even been out on it at all. Um, so, you know, again, relying heavily on Chris um, in terms of, you know, hey, our programs are the same. The greens are very similar in terms of how they, you know, perform speeds and those type of things, which, by the way, has turned out to be 100% true. Um, from a course set up for, you know, the actual, you know, tees, hole locations and that type of stuff, that's Shannon Roulard, who is our director of this championship. Uh, she's director for the Women's Open. And, um, you know, even for her, the learning curve was really steep. She was able to make some trips out over the summer. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, you're focused on Cypress Creek. That's what the focus has been all the way up until April. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, now we have another 18 hole golf course to figure out, you know, you know, how we, how we make it the best that it can be and present the, the best test to the players. And uh, we had to figure it out in a short period of time. So it's just different. Um, now that I've been on site for four or five days, what I've found out is Chris knows his golf courses really well and everything that he predicted would happen has happened, which that's a credit to him and his staff. Yeah, Chris, I, I'd love to hear about the, the bunker project. I've, I, I don't, from what I read, it wasn't planned until, you know, the, uh, the, you guys knew you were doing it, doing the two course setup. Um, talk about just, you know, kind of, obviously 2020 has been a strange year for everybody in their workplace. I imagine that this bunker project was kind of a, uh, you know, a little bit of a surprise. And then it was probably a, uh, it was a fun project to undertake on a, on a deadline. Yeah, for sure. I mean, very quickly after we kind of had settled on the date and the second course came into the picture, everyone kind of agreed that improving the bunkers on Jackrabbit would, would not only help, you know, from an inclement weather standpoint and our ability to, if we do get a heavier rain event during the tournament, uh, get them back and, and play um, as quick as possible, but have them essentially play as consistent to the Cypress Creek course as possible. And so, yeah, within a couple of weeks, we were kind of, you know, reaching out to contractors, trying to touch base with architects and, and try to get everybody on the same page so that we could make a decision quick. And, and one of the things early on, at least, with the with the kind of coronavirus pandemic is a lot of companies kind of put some of their projects on hold so so the first thing was was kind of confirming availability and uh we're fortunate to have a really good partnership with heritage links construction company uh john o'donnell doug Wright, those guys over there they actually office just down the street from us um they were the ones that helped us out with the uh Cypress project and so very quickly got them involved started trying to define scope reached out to Bo Welling design who, who um, he and Shane had uh, some history on the Jackrabbit golf course which is originally a George Fazio design back in the 60s renovated by Tom uh, in the early 2000s who Bo Welling and Shane were working with the Fazio group then so uh, get the or get the architect figured out get the construction, you know, the contractor figured out. And within a few weeks, we're, we're breaking ground. And so uh, fortunate to have 36 holes here that we could close one nine at a time on Jackrabbit to the membership. And, and everybody was very understanding and supportive there. Um, but the the work, I mean, it was, com it was a total reconstruction in the bunkers uh, without any substantial changes to, to kind of, you know, placement or playability. Um, but essentially now we're, we're left with, with tremendous bunkers that will perform and play very well for not only the ladies this week, but the membership as well. Yeah. And just 
in terms of something that's been a common theme so far in the conversations a little bit has been consistency on the two courses uh, for the championship over two days. Uh, how do you guys go about, and Chris, from your standpoint of weeks leading into the tournament, how are you, you know, trying to achieve that with what you're doing? And then Darren, um, maybe you can rebut with, you know, how you guys at the USGA um, attempt to do it week of or, you know, days leading into it. It'd be interesting to see kind of the long range plan leading into the week of. Yeah. So I think for us, Andy, the, I mean, I would say for all superintendents, one of the biggest things they push for every day is consistency throughout the property. And so we treat, you know, every green, every hole the same in terms of daily practices and and scheduling in order to ensure that all the surfaces play uh, is not only as good as they can, but as consistently as possible. And so, um, you know, thankfully all 36 holes operates out of the same shop with the same crew. And so didn't take a whole lot in terms of training and preparations for our guys, but really just kind of interacting with the, the Darren and the rest of the USGA to, to find some objectives and then developing some programs and, and putting things in motion to make sure that uh, we were able to achieve the results um, that the USGA wanted for the week of the championship. Yeah. And I would say from a setup standpoint that, um, you know, and fortunately the greens on both of these golf courses can handle similar speeds. Um, so I think they'll be very close, but it's not necessarily from our perspective of both sets of greens need to be the same speed, but kind of like I said in a convoluted way earlier, I want Jackrabbit to play the same on Thursday and Friday if possible, and the same with Cypress Creek. Um, So from the USGA side, we're actually collecting putting green uh, speed data every morning on every green, Um, get additional readings in the afternoon to see, you know, are they slowing down similarly? Um, We're checking firmness every day. Uh, again, to just to make sure that our ranges are within reason on both golf courses. And, you know, fortunately, um, with the weather that, you know, is currently here with cool temperatures, low dew points, it really does make it nice to prepare putting greens because there's, there's, there's not a lot of surprises when the weather is like this, but it's just collecting a lot of data. It's getting feedback from our course setup uh, team in terms of, you know, the the numbers are quantitative data, but it's the qualitative data that you hear from our course setup team to say that, you know, hey, they're putting great. Everything's working really well. We really like where we're at. So um, there's a there's a feel component to it, and then there's a hard numbers component to it that we make work together. Um, it's, it's again, not, it, you it's, sound like a, you know, a scout, you know, saying this guy passed the, uh, passes the eye test and then you got the numbers too, to back it up. Correct. It's very similar. Um, where again, you, you have to have baselines to know, Hey, did the greens get firmer? Did they get softer? Did they get faster? Did they get slower? Um, and if you don't have that, otherwise you're just guessing. Um, so and it, it, it's common for someone to say, you know, what's the number today? And, you, you know, you give them a number and they say, oh, really, they feel faster than they were yesterday. And it's like, well, they, they may feel faster, but we have the data suggests they're pretty much the same as they were yesterday. So, hey, Darren, I, I'm curious. This is just a follow up. Uh, in your experience with the USGA, obviously, I, I imagine it's a huge advantage having both courses on the same property. And as you have alluded to. You know, Chris has done a good job. It's they're very consistent with each other, and then you know the style of the greens is very consistent. Have there do any um, championships jump to mind where you maybe had host courses in different locales that made it you know extremely challenging, or you know even had a weather event one place that you know because oftentimes these host courses might be twenty minutes apart, where you had a weather event one place and nothing at the other course. 
I personally have not run into that situation with the weather yet, thankfully, but I've, you know, I've certainly, you know, been in situations where, you know, the golf course is maybe 10 or 12 miles apart or even further. And the golf courses can be completely different. You can have bent grass greens on one golf course and POA greens on the other, you know, an old style Donald Ross golf course with sharper contours and then a newer style, you know, golf course that's, you know, flatter greens. And um, so, yeah, it, it's, it is nice having one, the same variety of grass uh, on the putting greens. Um, and again, being in a situation where both golf courses are run by the same golf course superintendent. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of times when you're doing the two host site, one of the biggest challenges is two completely different maintenance programs run by two completely different people. Um, but in general, it, it's, it goes very smooth. Um, if we've done the work that, you know, we're supposed to do leading into a championship, it's generally not a problem. But again, with the short lead in that we've had, I'm certainly glad that, uh, I'm rolling with the same guy on both golf courses uh, for this women's open. That's for sure. Yeah, it's definitely a, it's a, it's a blessing, you know, with the, the venue you guys had set up that you weren't scrambling to find another course in town that could host it. And, and champions had the ability to just say, Oh, we could just do it at our other course. Um, it, with um, kind of thinking about it, Chris, from your standpoint, how would you describe, you know, the similarities and then also the differences in each golf course um, for viewers? Yeah, so, again, um, one of our, you know, our founders, Jackie Burke and Jimmy Demerit, one of the things they were dead set on was bringing champions to Houston, Texas and bringing championship golf to the south. And so... Um, from from inception, they, they kind of had a vision for both golf courses to be capable of hosting uh, major championships. And and so um, they also wanted to have a little bit of variety between the two. So so two different architects from the beginning. Cypress Creek was a Ralph Plummer, just very, very big greens. Um, and then, you know, Jackrabbit was built a few years later uh, by George Fazio with again a little bit smaller greens uh, a little bit more contouring there um, and then when Fazio redid Jackrabbit in the early 2000s really made an attempt to move as much earth as possible we're still limited in, in Houston with how much topography we have to work with but but trying to provide uh, a slight contrast between the two golf courses but both great golf courses um and I'd say the biggest difference would be to me putting greens on Cypress Creek average about 10,000 square feet a piece. We've got a couple of them up near 14,000 square feet. So just massive, relatively massive greens over there and a little bit kinder complexes where I would say Jackrabbit averages about 6,500 square feet of green, but a little bit more movement in the complexes and, and I think with that can, can play a little bit more difficult depending on the conditions um, for the ladies this week. So, you know, the both courses uh, played host to the uh, amateur back in 93 that we hosted. And so I'm excited to see Jackrabbit kind of back in the spotlight and anxious to see how the ladies handle it this week. Now for a quick word from our sponsor, Toro. For more than a century, with cutting-edge turf equipment and irrigation solutions, Toro has had your front nine covered and your back nine, too. In fact, Toro's always had your back, period. Toro is as committed to your long-term success as tour pros are committed to their shot. That's down to top-notch customer service from Toro and its dedicated local distributors, both of whom are passionate about delivering turf equipment and irrigation solutions that solve real-world problems. Follow at Toro Golf on Twitter and reach out to your local Toro distributor today. Now back to Chris Ortmeyer and Darren Bavard. Darren, in terms of um, December date, how does it change, you know, the potential agronomic um, conditions 
for versus a May date? And I guess this is a question for both you guys. Like, is there anything that you're really happy with, like happy that it's in December for? And is there anything that, you know, you wish you had the May date for? If you could take the best of both worlds and you get, you know, one, uh, a couple things from May and a couple things from December, what would they be? Uh, I'll start with uh, the December date since we're here right now. Um, the fact that we're prepping two golf courses and again, trying to get volunteers and equipment and everything squared away. Um, Bermuda grass isn't growing very aggressively right now. So it offers us some options to, you know, not have to fully mow out both golf courses every day. Um, we can remove dew and on one course, mow out the other course and visually and from a playability standpoint uh it, it they're both still really good if we were you know if you were two courses in a may date it would certainly you'd have to mow both of them um but the the other thing i believe is that the i think the performance of the greens um with the weather right now is uh from really from what i've learned in the last you know four, five, six days is very predictable. You're not going to get surges in growth of the grass and that affects speed and those type of things. So I, from that perspective, I think it's been very positive. Um, probably the, the one thing I wish I had from May was the rough um, with a frost that just hit uh, early uh, last week. Uh, the rough has gone off color it's not growing as aggressively as uh, it's not growing at all for the most part so um it may be a little more forgiving than a, a typical open setup but um and you know I, I have to wear like three layers and gloves and everything in the morning <laughs> I, I could i could you're talking I could to chicago and you're not going to get any sympathy from me <laughs> I, I i hear you but I, I could go for a little bit warmer temperatures in the morning yeah, I'd say the same thing. The biggest difference being the weather, and I think there's pros and cons to both, right? Um, the, the 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 spring, early summer date would have provided much more predictability in terms of the range of temperatures we could have, as well as potential for inclement weather is pretty minimal there, where kind of long-term planning coming into December you know, we could be as high in Houston, we could be as high as 85 or as low as 25. Uh, the wind can blow from every direction. Uh, you know, we, we got snow on December 10th in 2017. So that was the hard part for me was I got to be prepared for anything. Uh, cause we could be, you know, fortunately we're cooler and it's not requiring, you know, as much out of us to get the speeds and the conditions we need, but Three weeks ago, you know, we could have been double cutting and rolling to try to get us where we need to be. And, and I mean, really, the, the, the rough didn't shut down until just last week. Uh, we kind of had our first frost and where everything was still lush and growing, you know, I would say still, still green. <laughs> uh, you'll see on TV, it kind of shut everything down in the rough, uh, which is nice. It's provided a, a pretty good look, I feel like. Um, for the golf course that not many people get to see. Yeah, it, while the uh, while the rough might be not be quite as thick, it could could be a little bit less predictable in a way, you know. And it, it almost it, might encourage people to try out try out and try try for some shots they might not have if it was thicker, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it it's certainly. Um, it's consistently inconsistent um, as you go through the the golf course. So you, you could get a, a – the players could draw a lie where the ball's, you know, sitting up and looks great. And, you know, conversely, it can sit down and um, the rough's kind of clumpy because it's not growing evenly anymore. And so, yeah, it, it's going to be, you know – offer the situation too, where somebody may think they have a better lie than they do and try to do something that, um, you know, uh, maybe they shouldn't. So, and that, you know, that's fun. It's, it's fun to watch. And, um, you know, part of the skill of the game is being able to 
read that lie in the rough and make a decision on how aggressive you can be. Yeah, it was, uh, I recorded a podcast with Tom Doak last week about his, uh, you know, course Memorial Park, his renovation there, and he watched the Houston Open, it was obviously the first year they played, and he remarked about how how he didn't – he. I guess he didn't understand how unpredictable that Bermuda rough was going to be for the best players in the world. And I imagine compared to, you know, the, the thick lush, pretty, pretty penal, you know, it's you, you, what you see is what you're going to get that Bermuda adds almost another layer of, uh, of, of challenge for in the rough for, for the best players in the world. Yeah, I think that that's accurate. I mean, when you're, you know, Kentucky bluegrass, ryegrass, rough. It's it's lush, it's thick, it's heavy. Um, you know, especially. I mean, if you look back at Wingfoot in September, for sure. Um, whereas the Bermuda is, you know, it, it's a little more unpredictable anyway. And it, it's, I think, it's really going to be unpredictable um, with just the fact that again, it's not growing aggressively, but they had done such a good job leading in of getting the rough up um, to the height that we thought we wanted. So it's still going to be thick. It's not like it's, you know, it's not going to be a layup uh, at all. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Hey, Chris, you've had a, uh, you know, since you take over uh, the job as director of agronomy there, you've had kind of a, a crazy, um, you know, weather events, and now you've got the championship that you're preparing for that gets moved. I'm I'm interested, how does the stress of, of a major championship week compare to that of a 500-year flood with Hurricane Harvey? Yeah. Um, both, both were, I, I would say both are stressful. Um, and I'm trying to think back to kind of compare the two. You know, Harvey was about a year after another flood. So my first flood when I was here was kind of what we call the tax day floods, which was which was 16. Uh, and that was honestly not as much rain, but it fell in a shorter period of time and, and had significant silt deposits and things like that. And that's the first experience I had at all with kind of flood remediation on a golf course and so figuring out how to in a very short period of time you know remove all the silt deposits and all that was very stressful thankfully through that event we had figured out the process so that when harvey came uh we kind of were a little bit more prepared but but nobody's prepared for 37 inches of rain to a certain degree so uh you know that one was definitely tough the tournament, you know, in a, in a slightly different regard, you know, I, I spent prior to my time here at Champion, spent several years at Colonial Country Club up in Fort Worth. And so thankfully had a little bit of a base in terms of kind of prepping for a large tournament. However, uh, you know, PGA Tour versus USGA Championship, USGA Major is definitely different, uh, 18 holes versus 36 holes. So you know, I, honestly, Andy, I would say both of them are tough, but it's been my experience and I, I've grown to really love preparing golf courses for championships. And to, to me, the higher the bar, the sweeter it feels when it's over, uh, when, when you can kind of work through everything and then ultimately kind of relish in the success of the event uh, after the fact. So... Um, I would say that's how I compare the two. Yeah, I, I imagine that the one is like you're just you kind of a, a loathing, you know, stress of of the of the flood, and then you know with the championship, it's more of an excited stress where you're you you know it's it's a lot of work, but it's you know you're building towards something, and the other one you're just trying to pick up the pieces. Yeah, again, superintendents spend most of our careers mad at mother, mother nature, so uh, <laughs> that, that's that's probably not atypical. Um, yeah, I I think um, the other important thing about that too is that the stress of championship preparation is wanting to get it right and wanting to put everything out there absolutely as best as you can and 
you have a lot of time to plan for that stress. And, you know, some of that stress, I think, uh, we keep upon ourselves um, because we want to do a great job and we want the players to have a great experience. Um, the stress that comes from Mother Nature is stress that we don't have any control over and it's hard to plan for. So, I, you know, working championships, Andy, I've been involved in both where I'm worried about the stress from weather and I'm worried about the stress for just course preparation, um, you know, all wound up into one. And I'll tell you, I'll take the stress for course preparation every time because I feel like I have a little bit more control over that. Yeah. I imagine that the, the, the weather app refresh rate is always high for, for you, Chris, like in a, any, any week, my wife, I think every golfer pays attention to the weather more than like my wife always makes fun of me. She's like, you always know what's going on in the weather. And I'm like, well, you know, kind of, so, but like for a superintendent, you're already doing that a ton, but for a championship week for both of you guys, it's just gotta be like a, every like hour occurrence, huh? Yeah, for sure. I will say it's extremely nice. Uh, the USGA uh, has an on-site meteorologist here, and Jake gives our updates every day, and he's been extremely accurate. So it, it does slightly reduce the amount of time I spend uh, on my phone staring at, at models, but there's almost kind of a uh, – because of the – comfort level that I've developed with kind of, I guess, acclimating to the apps that I look at year round, even with the, the on-site professional, I still find myself corroborating that with, with the apps and all the things that I normally do. Yeah. And from, from my perspective, it's funny when you talk about the refresh rate on the uh, weather apps, when you look at the seven day forecast or the 10 day forecast and it's favorable, you look at it and go, man, that is great. This is going to be awesome. And when you look at it and it's unfavorable, you say, Oh, but that's seven or eight days away. It can change. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, when it looks good, you kind of think, you know, okay, this is spot on. When it looks bad, you, you hope it changes and, you know, you just deal with it as it comes, I guess. It's like the all that well, forty percent chance of rain. That means that's sixty percent chance that it won't rain. Yeah, unfortunately, the USGA for our championships, we we don't have a good track record with the sixty percent chance that it won't rain. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, I I agree with that. It's it always seems to rain. But uh, hey, Darren, with your from your perspective, from an agronomic sense, you know. Do you guys approach women's championships and men's uh, the same, or is there slight differences in how you prepare the course um, for the different styles of play, or or is it pretty uniform? The our preparation, realistically, for all of our championships, we try to have a consistent philosophy, consistent protocols. Um, obviously, it's a matter of degree. But um, I, I would say uh, for respective championships, Andy, for women's open versus men's open, there, there is no difference in the agronomic preparation. Now, there may be difference in course setup. The rough may not be as tall. Obviously, you're not playing the golf course as long and those type of things. But from an agronomic perspective, um, no, there's not – you know, there, there's we, we put every bit as much thought and effort into the the uh, ladies' championships as we do their uh, you know male counterparts. So it's it's all about challenging the best players in the world, and you know it, it's it's about having a healthy golf course when we done when we're done as well. You know, we're here for a week. We're a guest. Mm -hmm. uh, Chris gets to pick up the pieces on December fourteenth, and. Um, has the membership of champions uh, to then please as well. So we're, we're very respectful of, uh, you know, hopefully leaving the golf course in really good condition when we get out of here. But no, it's, uh, you know, speeds on these greens 
Um, obviously, the greens are different, Andy, but in terms of actual speeds, they'll be every bit as fast as they were for the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. With, uh, with the Cypress course, uh, what are some holes in particular you guys are excited to watch uh, play out, uh, just for the viewers? Obviously, Jack Rabbit's got, but, you know, more listeners of this will probably see a lot more of Cypress Creek. Darren, you want to go first? You want me to take it? Um, I'll go first because I'm just sitting here as he's asking the question, thinking it in my head. Uh, I'm excited to watch uh, number six, uh, par four with the water hazard or, or penalty area of front right, really along the whole right-hand side of the green. If you if you you know get moving right a little bit, it's pretty easy for that hazard to come into play. Uh, and probably the, the 13th hole, um, I'm just interested because it's kind of a bite off as much as you can chew on the tee shot, um, as you hit it down the, you know, hit it down that golf ball. So I'm interested to see, um, how they play the hole. Those, those are, those are the two that I would pick out. Yeah, both both those are going to be good. I would add number four, which is a long par three over the creek, over Cypress Creek, um, with some with some challenging hole locations that, because of the length and then the the kind of greens contour is going to have to kind of work a bowl in the front part of the green a little bit. Uh, it'll be anxious to see them play that one, and then I would probably say 14 as well 14 similar to six as darren described uh a longer par four with water uh front left of the green but again one of the biggest actually it is the biggest green on cyprus at about fourteen thousand square feet and so you know just because you're on the green doesn't necessarily mean you've got an easy ride home so uh those would be the two that i'm looking forward to seeing yeah, that yeah. that 14th seems like it could play wildly different depending on where you guys put the pin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah and it's, it's both of those holes, 6 and 14. Um, not surprisingly, the greens work towards the, the water. So, uh, again, the players would have to be careful. Um, but one, one thing I've learned is they're really, really good at what they do. Yeah, yeah, they're the the precision um is just unbelievable at, at the from from the women professionals. It it, it is astonishing to watch. It, it they're so good at what they do. It's it's out of this world. Um, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun to watch. All right, uh, we we got to get a story time in. Chris, I I know this I'm putting you on the spot here, but I I need your best uh, Jackie Burke story. Oh, jeez. I'm I'm not a good storyteller, but uh, <sighs> Andy, do you know Mr. Burke? Have you met him before? I, I've not met him. I've read a, a decent amount of it. I've had some friends that have met him um, playing down at the Champions Cup, uh, but they say he's just incredible guy. Yeah. So again, anybody that knows him knows that one he's from a different generation, right? He's 97 years old. He was a Marine played professionally through the fifties, early sixties, had an accomplished playing career, master's champion, PGA champion. Um, but he's 97 years old and he's still at work seven days a week, uh, at 10 AM or nine 30 kind of on the money and just eats, sleeps and breathes golf. Um, so, so kind of the, the story I'd say I've been telling here lately is uh, going back to what Darren talked about with kind of date change to December, uh, focus, you know, on conditions and how we prepare the golf courses. And, and one of the things we quickly identified was growing up the rough. And, and to, to us, one of the best ways we did that and preserved it was to put carts on path early. So October 1, we decided we're going cart path only both golf courses. And so October 2nd and 3rd rolls around. And of course we, we've got some unhappy members, um, 
that are that are kind of uh, struggling to be able to even play with some physical limitations and things like that. And so uh, Thursday afternoon staff meeting rolls around and, and we're in there kind of talking about options and handicap flags and, you know, how do we try to manage that and, and keep people honest and everything else. And Mr. Burke's sitting there and he, he, he kind of looks up at the group and straight faced as he can be says, you know, what kind of a pansy do you have to be to put a handicap flag on the back of your golf cart? I mean, that's got to be the most embarrassing thing you can do. And, you know, again, I, I would say for, for most golfers, if they have the opportunity to have a handicap flag and get off the path and play the golf course that way, they'll take it every chance they can get. I would say most places they struggle with doctors writing notes for each other to have a handicap flag. And here Mr. Burke is 97 years old, a a true Marine and Texan that takes a lot of pride in what he does. Uh, And, you know, me and the head pro kind of look at each other and we just kind of take our heads. Yeah. You guys are thinking, so how do we message this? membership. And again, there was a couple of other expletives in there, but I'll leave. It so, <laughs> um, Darren, I, I'd love to hear uh, kind of, I, I guess, like maybe your favorite. You, you've probably got so many, but what are your favorite championship memories from your uh, from your long history with the USGA, uh, whether it be pre setup or during or post championship? Oh, boy. Um that's a tough one, Andy. You kind of put me on the spot. I know. There, just I know. Think I'm about it. Putting both of you on the spot. You know, it's uh, probably in thinking about the uh, U.S. Open at Marion in 2013. Um, sitting in, there was a lot of debate about certain greens, obviously, number five in particular. Uh, and Matt Schaefer, who's the golf course superintendent there, you know, who's very colorful uh, to begin with, where it's it's 4.30 in the morning, and we're having a conversation about whether or not we're going to roll the fifth green or not. And Matt's starting to raise his voice. I mean, Matt and I have a great relationship, still great friends. And John Zimmers, who at the time was a superintendent at Oakmont, is now at Inverness, looks over and he goes, Darren, I think if you don't give in, Matt is going to yell at you. And I thought him, I said, well, he can yell at me all at once because Matt Schaefer's name's not on the bottom of my paycheck. So anyway, after some long conversations, the decision is finally made that we will indeed roll the fifth green. And Andy, I just remember going out there for the first groups that came through and sitting uh, in the grandstand. I was the only one there. There was nobody else there. <laughs> and watching to make sure that the whole location still worked after we had rolled the green. So, unfortunately, most of my memories are, you know... The, the anxiety hoping, level. <laughs> so anxiety level being extremely high. There's no no doubt about it. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that's... Uh, I remember that one in particular just... Just because you got John Zimmers, who's you know a great superintendent in his own right, sitting there stirring the pot between me and Matt Schaefer, and so there's always troublemakers around. Yeah, I had a couple of buddies that worked for Matt Schaefer who ended up in Chicago at uh, their respective clubs, and and they their Matt Schaefer stories were endless. Yeah, well, and you had Scott Bordner who came out yeah. to Chicago Golf Club for a while. Um, Brian Palmer. But, yeah. But, uh, you know, it's funny, though, real quick, the story that uh, Chris told about Mr. Burke. I remember, I think it was the second time that I was here. I was on the eighth green and looking at something or whatever. And Mr. here's Mr. Burke. You know, I've met him a couple of different times. He's the owner of Champions Golf Club. He can do whatever he wants to do. And he pulls up in his golf cart, 
he stops on the path, gets out of the cart, and walks over to where we're all standing. The thought of driving that golf cart, you know, anywhere that it didn't belong just never occurred to him. And it made a heck of an impression on me that morning that, you know, hey, here's somebody that really gets it. Uh, or, it, you know, walks the walk, so to speak. So uh, it, it definitely it, it's been fantastic uh, getting to know him a little bit. My my uncle was a golf pro, and I remember playing around with him when I was younger. And I we were in carts, and and I parked the cart like you know, a yard away from a cart path, and and uh, I'll never forget him uh, him saying to me, he goes, you know, Andy, I'm glad you parked that there. I was talking to the uh, pro beforehand at this course, and he was telling me that the membership's really worried about the cart path getting worn out. <laughs> Yeah, that they are. And every time, every time I'm near a cart path and a cart, I think about that. That's the first thing that comes into my head. And, uh, you know, I've used it a few times on my buddies. But, hey, I have a really stupid, this is a stupid question, but I've always thought about it. And I, I've, this is something that I've wondered. Um, when you're in between days, right, do you guys cut yeah. new cups but you, you have the same pin on the same course, you know, for Thursday and Friday with this split setup. And you, mm -hmm. you mow and roll the greens every morning. Do you cut a new cup? How does that work? I, or does the cut, cup just stay there? This is a dumb question. I'm going to sound like an idiot, but I just have always wondered about this. It stays where it is. No new so cup. No, Jack Rabbit will have... It, you know, on Thursday and Friday, we'll have the same whole location. And unless there, we inspect the cups and everything, Andy, to make sure there's no damage or no problem. But it, as long as the cup is in good shape, they'll be in the same spot on Cypress and Jackrabbit both Thursday and Friday. So get any new paint? Nothing? No. Nope. Yeah, we definitely repaint them. All right. <laughs> uh, touch them up. Make sure they look good. So, but yeah, absolutely. We put a new coat of paint on them. I was just curious. It's something I've always thought about. It's like, do they do they put it back in, mow it, and then recut it, or is it just they just leave it as is? <laughs> yeah, we just always uh, always tell the the maintenance team whether it's a mower or a roller, make sure you go center cut over the cup, nothing on the edge or whatever. So, um, but yep, they stay in the same spot, um, and usually it works out pretty good. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, guys, I you guys have a busy week. I want to get you out of here uh, so you can get back to much more important things than talking to me. Um, but congratulations on getting this all worked out. And, and I can't wait to watch this week. And uh, and I'm, I'm hoping for for great weather and no rain for you guys. Yeah, thanks. Uh, from my perspective really appreciate it and uh, really appreciate the time and i'm excited to watch the championship uh, unfold yeah andy thanks a bunch uh for having me on really enjoyed the talk